let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. This is Locked On Thunder, the only place you can get a Thunder podcast every single day. Day. And on today's show, we're going to recap the Portland scrimmage, the third and final tune-up for the Oklahoma City Thunder before they get going in the regular season or the, or the seeding games, whichever you prefer to call it, down in the Disney World bubble. So let's start with the pregame stuff because we did get an injury report and we saw that for Portland, they wouldn't have Dame or CJ. And that immediately took away one of my biggest sticking points of, of what to watch for in this game of, of watching for Andre Robertson guarding an elite wing because we've seen him play defensively more at that four position down low where you can get away with more defensively down low. You don't need that top tier lateral quickness that he once had. You don't need to be in the peak shape uh, that he once was for a defender. And if all he can be this year is a, is a great power forward defender, that, that's totally fine. But I would have liked to see him tonight go up against some wings uh, in, in and some guards against Dame and CJ. That obviously could not happen without CJ and Dame playing. So that took away one of the what to watch fours. Chris Paul sat out with the rest. I predicted that yesterday. Nerlens Noel. Uh, now he sat out because he missed a COVID test. So he did not report and get tested. Therefore, he could not play in the game. And this has been something that's happened within the bubble. Uh, most notably, Kristaps Porzingis of the Dallas Mavericks missed his COVID test a couple of games ago and couldn't participate in the Mavericks' second scrimmage. Uh, and Billy Donovan and Rick Carlisle both have taken uh, shots for their players and said, look, uh, for, for Rick, it's KP. For Billy Donovan, it's, of course, Nunes Noel. Look, it's easy to miss these tests. The days run together. Billy said today that he's almost missed COVID tests, and he's had to run outside of his room and barely uh, get in uh, to the testing site at the nick of time. So apparently, it, it truly is easy to miss a COVID test. You hope this is eliminated and ended by the time you get to those eight seeding games and then the playoffs and the games that truly matter after this one. But Noel was out. Uh, I don't want to look too much into this. I saw people referring to... Noel's past and referring to the the hot dog gate in Dallas and referring to his attitude in Philadelphia. I don't think any of that has to do with this isolated incident. I think that the days run together. Uh, He simply just didn't keep track of time. He simply forgot to go take the COVID test. And, you know, you're lying to yourself if you think that during your quarantine, uh, you had the days right every single time. You had the hours right every single time. The days truly run together. Uh, They're doing a quarantine. They just happen to be doing it in Disney World. Uh, and then we got news that Terrence Ferguson would also sit out with a leg contusion. Now, there were some conspiracy theories on Twitter uh, how this is suspicious. He wasn't, you know, he didn't look hurt against Philadelphia. Uh, how is he all of a sudden hurt? Look, if Billy Donovan didn't want to play the guy, he wouldn't have made up an excuse. He just wouldn't play the guy. I mean, look what happened with Deontay Burton today, not getting any minutes until garbage time, and he played less minutes than Devin Hall and Kevin Hervey. If he didn't want to play Terrence Ferguson, he wouldn't play Terrence Ferguson. I think Terrence Ferguson legitimately is hurt, and hopefully for him, he's not hurt too long. This is someone who uh, I said on Monday fell out of the playoff rotation in my eyes, but still was a part of a scrimmage rotation. I mean, he's not unplayable in a scrimmage. He's not even unplayable uh, in the seeding games or the playoffs, but as this rotation shrink, he'd be one of the first guys on the chopping block. I don't buy any sort of... Uh, conspiracy theory about this being fishy. I think he truly got hurt. He set out this game as a precautionary reason because why would you uh, play someone on at any skill level if they're even remotely 
banged up. It's a scrimmage that does not matter at all. So Terrence Ferguson is out with a leg contusion. And then the last pregame note was Abdul Nader is back in. Now, for me, I was surprised. I was surprised that he passed concussion protocol this quickly, but he did pass it. He played in this game, and he looked fine. I mean, he looked really good at the end of the game whenever it was kind of garbage time, but it was good to see him running around because that was a scary fall against Boston, but he's back uh, from concussion protocol. So let's get this game started in the first quarter, and the starters for this game got a lot of people excited. You had Shea at point guard, which is a big storyline to follow. Of course, Dort and Gallo and Adams. The biggest talking point of this starting lineup has to be Andre Robertson getting his first start in two years, and... Look, the lineup looked good. When you can throw out there Adams down low to anchor your defense and then have Dort and Andre at the top with Shea's length and ability whenever he does lock in defensively, this is going to be a good lineup. This is going to be a really good lineup, and it proved to be good. Today, again, it's a scrimmage, and Portland did not have Dame or CJ. All of those qualifiers will um, be presented throughout this entire thing. So let's get that out in the front end. This game does not matter. It's a scrimmage. Uh, all the excuses you can for why these talking points shouldn't matter. Bottom line is, this is what we do have to talk about. So this was the first time that we saw Shea in a true point guard role in Oklahoma City. And he hasn't gotten a chance to show Oklahoma City what he can do with the ball in his hands because he's sharing a floor with Chris Paul, one of the best point guards of all time. He's sharing the floor with Dennis Schroeder, who could be a starting point guard at pretty much any NBA team or for most of the NBA teams around the league. So he hasn't gotten the chance to show that he can be a point guard. Uh, he got it a little bit in L.A. with the Clippers his rookie year, but he's a rookie. And again, he still didn't get that much time as a point guard. And today he showed he can do it. Now, the offense started sloppy and it started clunky. And, and you noticed that they didn't have Chris Paul's leadership to kind of settle them down, calm them down. But Billy Donovan, it was, it was surprising to me. He got a technical foul. Uh, after a couple of bad possessions, uh, he immediately got a technical foul. It reminded me of Bill Self, uh, the Kansas coach and Oklahoma native, who, who's keen for doing this. Anytime that his team looks sloppy, anytime his, his team is lacking energy, as the Thunder were, he immediately gets a, a technical foul, even if it's about nothing, and it sparks his team. I was surprised Billy Donovan did that in a scrimmage because there was really nothing to truly complain about. Even if you felt the Thunder were not getting uh, balanced calls, it's a scrimmage. It doesn't matter. Uh, but he still did that for a, a lineup that featured a lot of young guys. Look, your, your lead point guard in this offense is a second-year player. I know how good he is. He's still a second-year player. So I think that that really brought some energy back to this lineup, and you saw them go off after that technical foul. So to me, Shea really settled in at that point guard spot in the first quarter. Yes, the first half of the first quarter <laughs> was a bit clunky for sure, but also in that stretch you weren't seeing Shea uh, have the ball in his hands a ton. He was really passing and deferring to Gallo and, and really playing some iso ball at first in this game. And then once they settled into their normal offense, Shea did very well. And he had seven assists in this game. Of course, they were all in the first half. He did not play in the second half. He could have had a lot more than seven assists. He, he really could have. Uh, but his, his teammates would botch a play down low or something would happen, of course, where you just miss out on assist. But other than that, he went two for three, for, uh, two for two from beyond the arc uh, with a beautiful step back, three, 10 points and three rebounds. Shea was awesome. And, he, and to me, uh, he really opened Pandora's box for Thunder fans because uh, he showed in this game in a, in a small sample size with no Dame, no CJ and a scrimmage that does not really matter. He showed he has the chops to be a starting point guard in the NBA, uh, that he can run an offense in the NBA, and, and he can run Billy Donovan's motion offense in the NBA. Uh, so I really liked what I saw from Shea, and he really showed again tonight why 
there's no wrong answer this offseason. If you can talk yourself into, which we will by the end of this game recap, if you can talk yourself into uh, this team and, and Chris Paul and Gallo and Adams, what they can bring to Shea, what they can bring to Dort and Baisley and, and, and Andre returning, if you can buy into this team and then uh, go out this offseason and try, to, and try to improve this team rather than tear it down, I don't think anyone in Oklahoma City will be upset with that. If you try to improve this current team, if you try to re-sign Gallinari and maybe pick up a, a veteran along the way, I don't think anyone would turn their nose up at that. But you see what Shea did. If you trade Chris Paul, if you if you sign and trade Gallo, uh, even if you get rid of Dennis and maybe even Stephen Adams this offseason, uh, having Shea opens up Pandora's box to where I don't think that come game one of next season, whether that's December 1st, December 25th, or sometime in March, whenever game one is next season, I don't think that there's a decision to be made this year by Sam Presti this offseason uh, that will have Thunder fans upset. And that's a tribute to having Shea and some of the young guys we're going to talk about pretty soon. So one of my other things to watch for in this game was Gallo. He's really sleptwalked through these first two scrimmages. His body language at times has not been that good. He hasn't really wanted to be there. And that's to be expected from a veteran like Gallo. That's very much understandable in a scrimmage game. That means nothing. But I wanted to see him uh, pull out that shooter stroke and, and to really uh, not necessarily catch fire and take over a game because, again, it's still a scrimmage and, and a scrimmage for a veteran, nonetheless, who's kind of proven himself in this league and, and doesn't really need this. Uh, a guy like Baisley, a guy like Dort, uh, who have, have solidified themselves as something you can build around Oklahoma City but not necessarily as someone you can trust in the postseason yet, uh, being as young as they are, they need to take these games way more seriously than a Gallinari. Gallinari will play big-time playoff minutes no matter what he does in these scrimmages or what he does in these eight-seeding games. So him sleepwalking through them is totally understandable. You hope that he can catch fire uh, here starting on Saturday against Utah. Uh, the only thing concerning is he went one for three from one for three, from three, 33%. No big deal there. That, that's not anything to scoff at. But uh, you really hope that that shooting stroke, you look at what he did from the field. He, he went three for nine from the field for a 33 percentage from the field. You really hope that he can be more efficient in the eight games. And he won't take as, as bad of shots in the eight games. He'll be more locked in. But shooting is one thing that might not be able to carry over into the bubble and into this restart here. And so far this season, this you know scrimmage season, I haven't been that impressed with the shooting stroke of Gallo. But I'm sure on Saturday he's going to come out there, he's going to light it up from downtown, and we're going to need to scrub this portion of the podcast uh, from the existence on the internet. Uh, but Gallo did sleepwalk again, didn't really have the performance I wanted him to have in my what to watch for, but it is still a scrimmage and it still does not matter. Uh, but now it's time to talk about the fun stuff. Andre, the, now so for full transparency, throughout the game, I'm taking notes on my Google Docs. I break it down. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, what stands out in each quarter. Uh, and one of my bullet points in the first quarter is Andre takes and misses a wide-open corner three without hesitation. So I was ready to simply praise Andre just for taking the corner three, just for not hesitating and immediately shooting a three. I was ready to praise him only for that because you think back, if you've watched his whole career, you think back to the countless, countless times he'd be wide open in the corner. And Russell Westbrook would, you could hear it even through the television. He would scream, shoot the ball at Andre. He, he, would, he would scream at Andre to shoot the ball. And Andre still would not shoot the ball. Uh, for him to have this confidence he's had in these three scrimmages, for him to um, not hesitate in these three scrimmages, even after a two-year-long layoff, over two-year-long layoff for Andre, 
has been impressive. And he went one for two from beyond the arc, 50%, of course, and he scored seven points. He looked good. He looked really good. He had five rebounds, a couple of tough rebounds over Nurkic and really mixing it up down low uh, and being physical down low, which is always an encouraging sign from a guy who's rehabbing from a knee injury to immediately go down there and mix it up. And we'll just stay on, on Andre. We'll cover the entire Andre spec- spectrum here because after halftime, he was incredible as well because he got a huge steal a couple of times and finished strong at the rim. And there again, this isn't to say that Andre's a bad finisher at the rim, but finishing through the contact that he did on Tuesday night was different than before. The confidence he showed, the aggression he showed to immediately go up and go through somebody at the rim was incredible. And that points again to the side, to the, to the subsection of fans who were telling me they think he's 100%, they think he can be what he once was. He's shown to be better. And I was on the other side saying, hey, cool it, tamp your expectations, they, they, he's only he hasn't played in over two years, maybe even uh, close to three years. Let's not let's not put the pressure on him to be 100%. Let's not put the pressure on him to be an X factor. He's shown in 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 three scrimmages that the fans telling me he's close to 100% or closer to right than I am, in that he might be closer to 100% and elite than I, than I was giving him credit for. Uh, and really, he's been an X factor. I know it's scrimmages. I know these games don't count and we have to see it happen on Saturday. But if he performs on Saturday to the length that he did, uh, you know, today and Sunday and Friday, then he's shown to be an X factor. Uh, He really has. So I've got to give credit to Andre. Uh, The finishing at the rim was important to me. Of course, him shooting threes was awesome as well. I mean, he's shooting something like 80% from beyond the arc uh, in the bubble. It, it is it is amazing the improvements he's made, he's made from three. And that was that was my biggest thing also. I expected a step back defensively, and we've seen that. Again, he has not uh, been challenged by wings. He has not been challenged by top-tier scorers. And part of that is, is the fact that they haven't been playing when he's playing. And part of that is because he's still, even when he's on the floor at some talented wings, he's still guarding down low, which is to be expected. So he has taken uh, possibly a bit of a step back defensively. That's still yet to be seen, uh, but I did not give him enough credit for being able to improve offensively or at least be more confident to take jump shots uh, th- than what he obviously deserves. He has been, he has been incredible in, in the bubble and, and the, uh, the aggression, the confidence has been something that Thunder fans have been wanting for a very, very long time. And of course the organization has as well, uh, but Lou Dort continues to shoot the ball well. And this, I was wrong on Andre. I was a little bit too pessimistic about him immediately coming back and being an X-Factor. I'll raise my hand and admit that. And immediately, I'm going to give myself a victory lap. Because all month long, I've been saying that Lou Dort could enter this bubble and take a leap. He gets the long layoff to avoid the rookie wall that you typically see from guys. And... The only thing he needed to improve was that three-point shot, and I predicted he would. I said, typically you can gauge a guy's three-point ability by the way they shoot free throws, and and uh, Lou Dort was a was a very good free throw shooter this season, and so far in the bubble, he's been awesome at the, the three-pointer. I mean, he goes three for five hitting shots from well beyond the arc, hitting contested three-point shots, wide-open three-point shots. Uh, you know, again, last night goes three for five, 60% from three. 13 points, two steals, three assists. I mean, Lou Dort was awesome this scrimmage period. Whatever we want to call these three scrimmages, he was awesome. And I think that it is a peak into what we're going to see in these eight games of Lou Dort. The three-point percentage uh, going up. You don't have the 
the fans in the postseason to create that pressure. Uh, so I think young players will thrive more in this bubble environment uh, of not having that added pressure to them that you normally get in a normal postseason. And he's been shooting the ball well from three. This, as long as this continues in the eight games, which I predicted it will, and I still predict it will, it's going to be awesome to watch Lou Dort play. Uh, for the rotations, Dennis and Diallo were the first off the bench for Dort and Dre. Uh, the, and this has been consistent with, with what Billy Donovan has done in the bubble. Dort looked good. Dort looked really, really good, but so did Hamadou Diallo. Hamadou Diallo at, is a all-or-nothing player to me. He's kind of like a power hitter in baseball. You're either going to get a home run, or you're going to get an embarrassing strikeout and a ball in the dirt that's going to leave your fans just screaming. Uh, how, how in the world did that happen? Because he's finally become an aggressive player. He's finally attacking the rim with confidence. He's even shooting the ball with confidence. But at times, the aggression is really good, and at times, the aggression is really bad. So I'm interested to see if it can balance out with Hemdu Diallo. I really am. Uh, so he's been good. Nothing to complain about, really. There, again, the aggression, he was very, very aggressive with 14 points and uh, you know seven rebounds or whatever it was, five rebounds. Didn't shoot terribly, but still took some ill-advised shots to where he could have improved that field goal percentage even more. But I still love what I saw from from Diallo, and I think that he'll continue to be one of your first wings off the bench. I really do. But an underrated storyline for me is Mike Muscala. And he was electric from three-point land for the Thunder last night, going two for four from deep. And he's not going to be someone that you can count on game in and game out. But I'm going to predict right now that we get a Mike Muscala game in the postseason. In the postseason, there will be a game in which Mike Muscala, quote-unquote, comes out of nowhere and is a spark plug for this Thunder offense. They might be scuffling a little bit. You put him in the game, he gets back-to-back threes, uh, immediately makes the opposing coach call a timeout, and shifts the momentum a little bit for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I really think that that's what's going to happen at least one time in this postseason. I think he can be a spark plug, and he's shown that throughout these three scrimmages. So we will continue breaking down the Portland scrimmage. There's still a lot to cover from the third and final Thunder scrimmage, but you should start your mornings with the news that matters most. Axios Today host Nyla Boudou and a team of award-winning journalists bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. I also want to tell you about our good friends over at MyBucky. Sports are back. I've been waiting for this day since March, and now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind, and that's MyBucky. MyBucky is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game-winning shot, all wrapped into one. I love it. You love it. And it should be something that you all need to hear about in order to start betting today. MyBookie has up-to-the-minute odds on all of your favorite teams. And with the start of Major League Baseball, there's never been a better time to start playing. With MyBookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. Feeling good about your team's chances this year? Be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows you believe in your team more than betting on them before the season has ever begun. But why stop at basketball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future. And in that case, that means basketball, hockey, and football. MyBookie is already accepting bets on your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time than now to get started exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss in a free $10 MLB future wager. Listen, all you have to do is go to mybookie.com and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at mybookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. 
So jumping right back into the action with the Oklahoma City Thunder, Darius Baisley was impressive. And in the first half, you saw him taking an important drive to me. Uh, one of the best shot blockers in the league. You can say what you want to about his off-the-court annex or even at times uh, his stat counting or stat padding nature on the floor that gets so attributed to Russell Westbrook, but it really applies to Hassan Whiteside. You can say whatever you want to about him as a player. One thing's for certain, he's one of the best rim protectors in this league. And for Darius Baisley to drive right into the chest of Hassan Whiteside, score over the top of him, and nail two threes in the first quarter, it was awesome. It was awesome to watch Darius Baisley do that, and it didn't stop there. He had 11 points in the first half, three for four from beyond the arc in the first half. He was awesome. Again, Dre looked good. Dre was hitting threes. He had a burst and speed about him that I did not expect coming back from a knee injury. He looked really good, but just as good looked Darius Baisley. And in the second half, he really, really took off. And the three-point shooting was the name of the game. The Thunder made 20 three-point shots at a 50% clip. I don't remember them ever doing that in the history of the team. It's incredible to watch Darius Baisley nail three threes. Lou Dort nailed three threes. Abdul Nader nailed three threes. And then a lot of guys had two, like Shea, Muscala, even Kevin Hervey. The three-point shooting was immaculate, but especially from Darius Baisley, who went 60% from beyond the arc, as did Lou Dort. Baisley finishes up with 20 points, two assists, two rebounds, and a steal and a block. Block the jump shot, which is very impressive. I always love when players block jump shots for some reason. It's just one of the weird basketball things that I like to watch. But Baisley's aggression, and I'm going to use this term a ton when talking about this team, because for these young guys, it's a common theme. For Baisley, for Diallo, for Ferguson, for, for all of these young guys, it's a common theme that at times they're not very aggressive. And Baisley looked right at home today in the NBA. I know it's a scrimmage. I know there was no Dame, no CJ. He looked comfortable. He looked poised and confident and aggressive. And that's what you need. When you're going to rely on young players in the postseason, you need them to have a confidence and a swagger about them uh, to display and to truly believe in themselves, truly believe in their ability. And Diallo did that. Uh, Darius Baisley did that. It was awesome to watch them perform today, uh, getting some shine whenever you don't have a Chris Paul, when you don't have Nose Noel, and you have to have more minutes for guys like Baisley. It was awesome to watch. Uh, one quick thing about a starter, because for the starters like Adams and Gallo and Paul, these scrimmages do not really matter whatsoever. They don't matter in general. They especially do not matter for veterans. And that's why it's not too concerning. But I did want to mention, Stephen Adams went from not being aggressive at all and kind of being too selfless in the NBA to inside these scrimmages, he's kind of being too selfish. And I don't know if that's the game plan. I don't know if Billy Donovan's saying, hey, look, this is a scrimmage. I don't care if we win or lose. You go out there. You get your shots up. You work on these new pump fakes that you're trying out. You work on dribbling the basketball more like you have been in these three games. You do what you need to do for half, and then we'll get you out of there. And if we can pull this game out, fine. If not, who cares? We're, we're It's a scrimmage. We don't really care about this. So we'll monitor this on Saturday whenever the games matter. But not only has Adams been aggressive, he's almost been too aggressive at times. So you do want to kind of balance that out if you're Steven Adams as we move forward here inside the bubble as these games start to count on Saturday. But moving into the second half, there wasn't much to talk about. This was a blowout game. Again, Dort lighting it up from three. Gallo, Shea, Adams were done for the day at half. They did not see second half action. You can obviously expect that from veterans, and, and, and I know Shea's not a veteran, but he still has solidified his spot in the rotation. There's no need for him to play in the second half. So 
you look at this game in the second half, again, not much to talk about. Burton was the biggest storyline to me in the second half. He does not come into the game until late in the fourth quarter. Again, Kevin Hervey and Devin Hall played more than he did. It seems like he's not going to be back next year, and he's totally fallen out of favor with this organization. That's to be expected. Personally, I never bought into to Deontay Burton, even in the great summer league he had. He was always a gimmick to me. I'm of the mindset that if if Burton was ripped and if Burton looked like a traditional NBA player, no one would even care about him. But he looked funny. He looked kind of goofy out there. Like he shouldn't he looked like he shouldn't be dunking the way he was. So people kind of fell in love with him. He was a gimmick. He was a gimmicky player, and he was never an NBA player. And the Thunder kind of did buy into him a little bit, obviously converting that two-way deal. And maybe that caused the Thunder to have some precaution about them whenever approaching Lou Dort with his two-way deal. But nonetheless, Burton is done. He seems done to me. It seems like this relationship is pretty well over between the two. You really don't want to look too much into it, but even on Instagram, you don't really see him with his teammates that often. I think I've seen one video of him with teammates this entire time he's been in the bubble. It, it doesn't seem like this is a good fit for him anymore in Oklahoma City and that by next season, it'll all be over for the Deontay Burton experiment. Nader looked good coming back from concussion. Again, he didn't really get much um, playing time in a sense of meaningful playing time. He played 25 minutes, but a lot of it came in garbage time as you're kind of easing him back from that concussion. But he still looked really good. He played the second most amount of minutes, but again, a lot of that was after the game had kind of gotten out of hand. 50% for me on the arc, which is really good. 35% from the field. I liked what I saw from Nader. He's kind of like Muscala to me. He's a spark plug. If you can get something offensively from them, great. If not, they don't have it that night. You'll just kind of ride the hot hand with guys like Nader and guys like Mike Muscala. I do think Nader, though, plays a lot more in the playoffs and will play a lot more in the seeding games than Mike Muscala will. So let's end this game recap with the three big things. This is how we're going to end every game recap. Three big things from the night, the three big storylines. You can get involved on Twitter and send me in your three big things from the night at Rylan underscore styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. My three big things starting at number one is Shea playing that point guard role. This is the first time we've truly gotten to see him be the point guard in Oklahoma City, and he showed that he can be the point guard of the future. He showed he has the skill set to be a lead guard, which some people were still debating. I don't know how, but some people were still debating if he had that opportunity to be a starting point guard in this league. To me, I've made it known on this podcast, he's an iguana. He, he can change his colors to fit any situation needed. If you need him to be a point guard, he can be a point guard. If you draft a great point guard, he can be a shooting guard. If you draft a great point guard and shooting guard, I think he can be a small forward. I think that Shea can do a ton of things in the NBA, including playing the point guard position. The number two big storyline of the day is unexpected or expected three-point shooters. What I mean by that is no one expected Dre, uh, no one seriously expected Dre to come into this bubble shooting lights out from three, and he's done that. One for two tonight, played well against Boston from three, played well against Philadelphia from three. A lot of people said, well, what if he improves from three? No one truly would attach their name to predicting he was going to go off from downtown after an over two-year-long layoff. Uh, And then Lou Dort goes off from three, I predicted this to happen on this podcast all month long, so that was expected for me, but a lot of you did not expect Lou Dort to improve his three-point percentage the way he has so far in the three games. And then Baisley. Baisley was awesome from three as well. That's kind of your your story of this game. Anytime you make 23-pointers, that's going to be the reason you win the game. And most of those three-pointers came from Darius Baisley, from Lou Dort, and from Abdul Nader. So, of course, they're going to be 
in the three big things. The final big thing of the night, number three, confidence, swagger, aggressiveness. That's what this team had. This team was confident with the basketball. They were decisive with the basketball. They were attacking Portland players at the rim, even Hassan Whiteside. And they just had this attitude that you could see on the floor. They just had this confidence and arrogance about them. And not in a bad way. They had swagger. And it was good to see this team feel confident. It looks like a business trip out there. And that's what they've been preaching this entire time. They said they have a job to do. They've said that they're going to stay in, in, the, bubble, in the bubble through the finals. They, they say it's a business trip. And so far, they've shown that it is. So far, they've shown they, they went to Disney to not finish the eight games, to not get bounced in the first round. They have an expectation on themselves to go to the second round, to the Western Conference Finals, and to the NBA Finals. They have that confidence and swagger about them, and that was good to see. So coming up, we're going to talk about what it's like to watch games from the bubble. I mean, we've seen three games now of the Thunder. I've watched some other scrimmages. Is it any different viewing these games on television? So we've seen three games from the Oklahoma City Thunder, so I would assume that most of you got to catch some of these games with the Thunder involved. I'm an NBA nut, so I've watched a ton. More than I want to admit, I've watched scrimmage NBA basketball that has no meaning or no impact on anything in life, but I've sat down and watched it. Don't ask me why. I just did because I'm a crazy person. But watching the games in the bubble is not that bad. It really isn't. There's no fans, so it was weird at first. There's minor complaints here and there, but all in all, it's pretty good. Now, this is coming from someone who also watches an embarrassing amount of Summer League, which many of you have no idea what that even is, because why would you? So the the comparisons are true to me between Summer League and NBA. The difference is you're watching LeBron and you're watching Giannis and Chris Paul. You're not watching Samaj Christian. You're watching the best of the best play in empty arenas and really funky looking arenas. The, the, the biggest thing when watching it that catches your attention to me is the court itself. It looks like a summer league court. There's obviously no specific team branding on it. They started tonight doing holograms of logos to try to make it feel more at home. Uh, but nonetheless, the biggest thing for me of the court is the border. There's no border around the out-of-bounds mark. It's just a black line. That's all it is. Now, I've watched enough Division II college basketball. Uh, (laughs) This time, I'm not crazy. This time, it's for my job. I've watched enough Division II college basketball to where it doesn't affect me as much, but I would like to have the border there because if you're just glancing up at your television, you don't really, at times, know is that inbounds or out-of-bounds. Now, you quickly adjust. You quickly uh, can follow up with that. But just whenever you're glancing up, as people typically do as we watch games at home and we're distracted by other things, Twitter or life, I mean, not everyone can be glued to the television. So it would have been nice to have a traditional out-of-bounds border. But as you can tell, the bubble is going so well. The game experience at home is going so well. These are all nitpicks about what's happening inside the bubble. Uh, the, the, the shoes are squeaking. The sh- you can hear more shoe squeaks than you can, he- can hear the announcers at times, which I'm fine with. It doesn't bother me. But if there's a way to balance the, uh, the floor mic to where you somehow can eliminate or close to eliminate as many shoe squeaks as you can while also still getting some access you don't typically get from players, uh, it's a hard balance. I understand that. But maybe they can balance something out there. Uh, no board around the court was huge. The Jumbotron out these courts that have virtual fans on them. I have a weird feeling about this. I don't hate it. I also don't like it. So I don't know where I fall on this. I, I really don't like it, 
but I also can't say I hate it. It It's going to be interesting to see how they implement this because at times they, they flash them up there and have them start screaming when there's no reason to start screaming. I don't know if that's a delay in the software or what they're doing. It's just a little wonky right now, but it's a scrimmage season for everyone. Maybe they'll get this ironed out and it'll be really cool, but still, I'm not in love with it, but I also don't hate it, so maybe you can keep doing it and see where we level out at. But my biggest takeaways from watching these games in the bubble, number one, the technical fouls. There's been two technical fouls in these games for the Thunder. Of course, the first one was Dennis Schroeder, and then tonight, you know, against Portland, I, I hesitate to, to even complain about this one because I truly think Billy Donovan wanted the technical foul. I think he was asking for it. Uh, of course, not literally, but I think that he truly wanted to be teed up to send a message and to kind of wake up the young guys on the team, uh, kind of a college-style coach. But if we're going to call technical fouls every game, what are we doing here? Of course you're going to hear these players complain to the refs. And Steven Adams mentioned this to the media He hopes that the refs will relax a little bit because just because someone cusses about your call or complains about your call, they're not trying to show you up directly or embarrass you or or call you out. They're just venting for a second. And normally, you wouldn't even hear it because they're venting to their teammate. You wouldn't even hear it with with a Chesapeake Energy Arena that's packed to the gills and screaming their head off. So... I think that refs need to grow thicker skin a little bit inside the bubble. We'll see if the technical fouls continue on Thursday and throughout these eight seeding games. And then the bench reactions. They're all spread out. Not very well, because I I find it hard to believe that even though they're spread out, they're still six feet apart. But seeing the pockets of the bench react to different things has been pretty entertaining to me. You got the guy on the left throwing towels in the air. You got the guy on the right jumping up and down. Nothing's cohesive. Nothing is put together. They're just all doing their own thing, and it's created a funny environment uh, visually. It's kind of like pockets of fans. You've got different ways that each fan reacts in there. So I have liked the bench reactions still, even though they can't be as coordinated as they were if they were sitting right beside each other. But nonetheless, that's my experience watching games on TV from the bubble. Let me know how you guys have taken in these games in the scrimmage season, or if you've taken any games, or if you're just waiting for the eight seeding games. You can do all of that on Twitter. Let me know what you thought of last night's game and your big three things from the game on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you tomorrow for a bubble preview with a very special guest previewing everything about the entire NBA bubble and your Oklahoma City Thunder getting you set for Thursday night whenever these games matter. Again, be good and be good to one another.